Welcome to the Business Mentor Podcast. This podcast is where we share and discuss the experiences, ideas, and happenings in the world of business, featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction in your journey. Introducing your host, award-winning entrepreneur and Prince's Trust business mentor, Jay Dillon. Thank you for joining me on the Business Mentor Podcast. We've got a very exciting episode. We've managed to secure the interview with Rob Moore. Now, Rob Moore is a triple Amazon best-selling author. He's a public speaker, a multi-millionaire property investor and business and he did it all this by the age of, well, he's 39 now and he's done all this at a very early age. Very successful. He dropped some great tips and great nuggets in the interview. I'm really excited to share this with you. So let's go straight into the interview. Hi, guys. Welcome to the interview. I've been plugging this for quite a while now. I've got the one and only Rob Moore. <laughs> um, as promised, I'm giving five giveaways. The giveaway is Money, the best-selling book on Amazon. It changed my life. So look, all you've got to do is DM me money and I will ship this book to you. Whether it's Australia, India, wherever it is, I will ship it. And Rob's going to kindly sign it. Mm, yeah, sure. So all you've got to stay on the live feed and then just DM me money. Money. Thank you. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jay. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. It's been hard to get hold of you. <laughs> yeah. but finally got you. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you. So Rob, I know a lot about you. You know, prolific investor, serial entrepreneur, award-winning, Amazon, you've got two great books out, which I've read, and you're a world record holder. Mm. But I know it hasn't always been like that. So for my listeners, just want to know a bit about your past, how it all started, if you want to go as deep as you want, <coughs> and just give them a, give them a sort of a, an idea of how it all started. Okay, well, I'll do the short version. Yeah. So when I was very young, my dad had pubs, clubs, bars, restaurants, uh, and like the most quintessential entrepreneur ever, big wads of cash in his pocket, used to pay for everything cash. Obviously, this was back, my dad's 74 now, something like that. And I just wanted to be my dad. Uh, and my dad got me working from a very young age in the pubs, you know, stacking the, we called it bottling up, you know, yeah. putting all the bottles on the shelves. And I'd do like a few days of that and he'd give me a quid. Right. Um, and my mum didn't really want me doing the bottling up on school days, but dad was like, oh, you know, just bottle up. Yeah. And I'd go down to the local pound shop and I'd buy the picture of the Ferrari Testarossa, the yeah. Lamborghini Countach, you know, all the old yeah, school yeah. classics. And I just wanted to be like my dad, an entrepreneur, controlling my own life, you know, but get, having some nice things. He had an exciting life. And then the Gulf War came. Uh, and my dad had pubs and bars in Mildenhall and Lakenheath, where all the bases are. Yeah. And immediately, all my dad's custom just flew out wow. of the, you know, because they, they were the yeah. Mildenhall and Lakenheath were full at the time. And then, and that, and in a recession, and, and he pretty much went bust. Then he picked himself up and, you know, like had it, got back in the game. And that, he's, he's had that entrepreneurial highs and lows, millions yeah. bust journey. And I've sort of watched that. So I've always been raised like that. You know, a lot of people have a story. Oh, I was so skint. I used to go yeah. down and pick up fag butts off the floor. I used to go down KFC and lick people's fingers. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I had a pretty good upbringing. Yeah. I haven't got that excuse. You know, and also I got pretty good grades at school. You know, I used to think in the story everyone had to be dyslexic or shit grades to be a good yeah. entrepreneur, but I got decent grades. But from sort of 18 to 25, I got stuck in the system. Right. So school, education, you know, you do your GCSEs and A-levels, which are useless because what am I going to do with geography and history and French yeah. in the real world of being an entrepreneur? 
Uh, and then I went to uni, not because I was passionate about it, because I didn't want the world to perceive me that I was thick. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying people who don't go to uni aren't thick and people, you know, yeah. but like I was like, well, you've got, if you're supposed to be intelligent, you go to university. But the irony was that just got me further away from being the entrepreneur that I wanted to be. Then I came back from um, university. I did architecture, but did nothing with it. Literally the next day I worked in my dad's pub and then I'll find myself 40, 50 grand in debt, racked up from uni and getting a car loan for a car and just spending too much money on credit cards. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm 25 years old. That's like a third of my life gone. And then my dad had a nervous breakdown in his pub uh, in front of all of his customers. It was our first family sort of experience of my dad's manic depression, bipolar, which he's been fighting for 12 years now. Right. Um, he's a lot better now, actually. But um, and it, he got sectioned, he got arrested by the police, he got hit by the police. He got put in Ward 5 in the hospital. We didn't see him for, for a good few months. And we had some hard years with him. Uh, and in, in that moment when that happened, I just realised that I've had a good upbringing, I've had chances and opportunities, and I'd squandered them. I'd been lazy, I'd probably been a bit cocky. I'd relied on my parents, and they yeah. were always there, and they always wanted to look after me. And that was a rude awakening, and I mm. thought, no way can my life carry on like this. And um, a few th synchronous things happened. I went to a property networking event and met my business partner, Mark Homer. Mm -hmm. At that property networking event uh, where I met Mark, he um, got me a job with his boss in a property company that we worked for for a year. Working in that property company for a year before the recession, yeah. when property prices were booming, that was like better than the 15 years of education I've ever had. Wow. Because, you know, like imagine working for a millionaire or a billionaire and being his assistant or his driver or something like that. Yeah. We were, Mark and I were doing the deals, sourcing the properties. You know, our boss gave us all the work. We went out viewing 30 properties a week. We're flying around the world doing deals from developers. We saw the good, the bad, the ugly. We saw it all. And it was such a great education. Also, as it turns out, my business partner had some money. And I didn't know he had some money. Right. Yeah. He never told me. And so we started buying properties with his money. And then when he ran out of money, we used his mum's money. When we ran out of his mum's money, we used his stepdad's money. And when his stepdad ran out of money, we used my mum's money and then my uncle's money. And we just, you know, leveraged all of this uh, family money, which, we, by the way, we don't have rich families. You know, yeah. th there was just the odd deposits. But that got us from naught to 20 properties in 2006. Then we went from 20 to 50 in 2007 and then 50 to about 100 in 2008. And then the recession came and we were scared. Yeah. But it turned out to be great because we could buy cheaper properties. Uh, and then I wrote my first book, Property Investing Secrets, that orange yeah. one, which is um, still the best-selling property book in the market today. And then that opened another world of property training books, podcasts, right. and everything else. So I spent 25 years wanting to be a millionaire and doing absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. And then from 26 to 31, so it took me just under five years, I became a millionaire. And yeah, it's been a crazy ride and there's a whole lot more to it than that. And that's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. So would you say, you know, for our listeners, going to university, now some of them are looking to go to university and they don't know, mm. you know whether they should start a business or go to university. I'm very clear on this. It's an easy answer. If you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, a pilot, you should absolutely go and do the degree and the postgrad the BA, the MA on that subject. Yeah. Because you can't learn to fly an aeroplane or a helicopter mm -hmm. on the internet. That's right. Because, you know, I fly helicopters and there's a very specific checklist. Yeah. And if you, go, if you get that out of sync one, once, especially when you're landing, yeah. you're dead. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a doctor, you're not going to be like, hey, Rob, just give me a knife, I'll have a go. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. So doctor, dentist, lawyer, anything that is 
uh, clear and it's employed and it's structured, you should go to school and uni and that's great. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and, I, and that didn't work for me. Yeah. But I'm not the sort of person that says, oh, well, you know, if you're a job, you're a loser. Because, you know, we, you know like every um, estate agent, letting agent, property investor needs tenants. You yes. know, if you've got properties, you need yeah. cleaners. Yeah. And I don't see I'm higher or lower. It's, we've all got a purpose. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to run your own business, if you want to be your own boss, then I don't think uni is the, the best way yeah. to go. I think podcasts doing courses, listening to your business mentor podcast, investing in courses and education, getting mentors, yeah. getting out there and doing it, making mistakes on the job. You can't make a mistake on the job when you're in an aeroplane. You need to make mistakes on the job when you're an entrepreneur. So I think it depends. But I was never really clear because I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I went down the school system thinking that that was going to get me there. Right. And I wasted seven years of my life. You know, Going back, I should have dropped out before GCSEs. Should have set up my own e-commerce business. But, you know, like, my dad probably would have let me do that. My mum would have thought, ooh, but she, my dad probably would have been all right with that. But yeah. the school system would have been like, you're crazy. Yeah. But, you know, I'd have been making way more money if I'd have done that. Yeah, I fully agree with you. My journey was similar. Went to university, did the same thing. And mm. I think as entrepreneurs, we learned after What did you university, do at uni? Mine was a business information technology degree. Oh, well, it's a bit better than mine. So you still, <laughs> yeah. still use a bit of it. Yeah, was, well, yeah. Not much. Yeah, not much. Yeah. No. So I did architecture and I just it has zero relevance. Yeah. And I spent three years there and racked up 20 of my 50 grand's worth of debt at uni. Wow. And it has zero relevance to what I'm doing now. Imagine as an entrepreneur, you can get those three years back. Yeah. Stick those three years on the end of my last 11. It's probably worth another 50, 60 million quid. Yeah. So, yeah, you got, you know, but, but I never had any guidance at that age. And it's easier to get guidance now. You listen to podcasts, you know, you, like I said, you can do courses, you get mentors. Um, you know, like if you've got friends or family and you've got an uncle or a friend's dad who's doing well in business, get some of their time. Yeah. And the reason for the podcast is to do that because mm. I feel I've been working with the Prince of Trust for five years, giving something back after mm. I saw my business. So I think if we can get this message out to People who need that at the moment, mm. when I needed it, it wasn't out there. You're mm. right. And I think it's important to do that. With your degree that you did, you're an artist, was it an artist? Architecture. Architecture. Because yeah. I know you went, you tried to sell some art at some point, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Um, so I left my dad's pub not long after he had his breakdown because we clashed a bit and had a bit of a falling out. And I, um, it sort of blurs. I, I was doing art part time while I was working at dad's pub. And then when I finished working in Dad's pub, I tried art for a bit before, you know, I got um, into property full time. Mm. And you know what? It never really made me any money, but that wasn't because it didn't work. It was because I didn't know how to make money. I actually had talents and skills at, at painting and drawing, but no one had taught me to sell. No one had taught me marketing. Now, imagine at school, I uh, get this, because I, I was in the top set. Wow. They made us do géographie, which is geography in French. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, what the fuck? What, yeah. what, how does learning geography in French prepare you for the real world? Now, if they'd have taught me sales and marketing and managing your money and budgeting, yeah. when I went to be an artist, I'd have had a bit more idea about making money. And what I used to do when I didn't sell a painting is paint another one. What I should have done was getting out to the galleries, you know, get pushing my work, entering in competitions and just getting my work out there. 
Now, of course, the great thing about what we're doing with social media, we've got live, live feed on your channel, live feed on my channel, yeah. this will go out to podcasts. It's easier to market right. yourself now. But back then, what I lacked as an artist wasn't the talents. I know so many people who've got talents and skills, but they can't do sales and marketing. Yeah. And sales and marketing is what pushes your business forward. That's correct. And they don't teach you at university. No. no. And I did a business degree, but the relevancy sounds good, but there's no skills that mm. I took on to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. So you, you've taken it into the property business, which you've done really well. You've got over 800 properties and I'm at your offices and it looks amazing here. Yeah. You then took that journey to then write books and then set up a training business. Just tell us a bit about that journey, because I know you mentioned a little bit in, in your sort of background. How did that come about? Because a lot of entrepreneurs will set a business up and just do that for life yeah. and hate it. And then in the end, they fall out of love with it. So you, you kind of moved on to that. How did that come about? Yeah. Again, I'll give you the short version because we're talk, we're, we're summarising like a 10-year journey here. Yeah. But, you know, some people say, you know, when you're digging for gold, some people are digging for gold and other people are selling the shovels. Right. I like to do both. I like to dig for gold and sell the shovels. So if I've dug for gold and found some gold in property, I've done all right for myself. And I can also grow my brand, my business and my profits by writing books and doing podcasts and running courses. I dig for the gold and I sell the shovels. And also I think it's human nature. And actually I think our species relies on the evolution and survival to do this. Once you've learned something, you want to teach it. When you're a parent, you're teaching everything you know to your child to raise them to survive in this hard world. So we're hardwired to pass on our knowledge. And even if people think, well, they're not really. Well, if you don't, then you die. You didn't exist and you didn't matter. So I found, and, and I've never been one to teach people about stuff if I haven't done it myself. Yeah. I think it's so important that you, you know, like I just couldn't because I'd feel a fraud and I wouldn't have the confidence. So, you know, the first sort of 50 properties Mark and I got, I never told anyone about it. I never did it, wrote any books or, you know, did any sort of wrote any blogs. But then one day when I thought, you know what, I know a bit about this and I felt inside like I did. I didn't really think, oh, I could make millions out of books and podcasts and courses. I just thought, I've got to get my message out there. There's something inside me that needs to be unleashed out. The first way I ever did that was writing that property book. So well, yeah. that one book, I mean, our biggest year in training business was 19 million quid. So 19 million quid in, in our best year, just not on our property portfolio and all that, just on the training business. Yeah. And that one book was like the, the lever. Right. that opened the floodgates, if you like. So that's been a big book for me. Yeah. And I just wrote what I'd learned and what I did. And, the, and also, very importantly, and I think it's important, I share as much the mistakes as we do what works. Because right. one of the best things you can do as a mentor is stop people making the mistakes. That's correct. Yeah. Not just say, oh, this works and that works, but be careful here and don't do this. Yeah. And I think people prefer the honesty than just mm -hmm. giving all the, the roses, if you like. So that's how I transitioned from doing a strategy to then writing a book on it. And so this book, Money Here, again, I'm not going to write a book about money if I'm 50 grand in debt. Yeah. And in fact, I didn't even really feel that credible writing a book about money when I became a millionaire. Because right. I just thought, well, there's people that are decker millionaires and hundred millionaires, and I want to, you know, maybe I've got to be a decker millionaire. But the, the problem with that is then you think you've got to be a hundred millionaire and you think you've got to be a billionaire. But when I felt credible enough, I, you know what, I, I know my stuff, any critics, you know, I can have a, an exchange with them and push back on them. Then I wrote the book Money. Just like when I, once I got to a million subscribers on my podcast, yeah. I felt like, you know what, I can start teaching people how to do podcasts now. I feel, and now my brain's going, I'm going to get into a thing, I'm going to do the thing, and as quick as I can, I'm going to teach the thing. Yeah, and 
it's proven. You've mm. got so many testimonials. That's one thing you've inspired me about by doing that because you do and you prove it. You don't prove it once, you prove it twice, yeah. three times, and then you teach mm. it. And that's why the teaching is so good here at Olymp- Progressive Properties mm. and Olympic Success. Yeah, so it's been a fantastic ride. Um, you've done so well. I want to give credit to you as well. Thank you. But not only do you, you know, you, you've built this wealth, but you give a lot back. I know you've done a lot of work with the Sue Ryder Foundation, and now you've set your own foundation up. Mm. Just tell us a bit about that foundation that's coming out, the Rob Moore Foundation, yeah. and what you're looking to do with that. So in the research of this book, Money, which is actually a 39-year research project, being yeah. 39, but really it was an 11-year research project after being 50 grand in debt and then turning it around and everything else, turning my life around and then also doing tons of research, reading every book on money, all the money masters that ran money courses and all of that. I've had millionaire and billionaire mentors. It's kind of all rolled into this book. And one of the commonalities of the billionaires and the most successful wealthy people in the world is they have their own foundation. And I thought rather than do what Bill Gates and Warren Buffett did and wait until I'm worth 50 billion, which I'm not yet, (laughs) why don't I do it now? Because I couldn't work out if you become a billionaire and then you're a philanthropist or you're a philanthropist by being a billionaire. It seems to be like, you know, the yin and the yang. It's an inseparable thing. So I thought if I start a lot earlier, then, um, you know, when I'm 60 and 70, my foundation is going to be huge. Also, a couple of other things. One is it feels really good to give back. Now, I'm not a hippie about it. Some people say, hey, I only do it for the love. Bullshit, you do it for the money as well. And if you don't, and you're skin, you can't do it for the love. So again, the yin and the yang. I equally do it because I want to be wealthy and because I love doing it. And by the way, the more wealthy you are, the more time you can buy back, the more you can give back. You can't separate these forces, you know, like the spiritual and the material. People are always like, oh, you're a greedy, greedy, evil capitalist or you're some kind of tree hugger. Well, actually, you can't separate them. Spiritual and material are interlinked. So I, I worked this out through my research and also then linked it to who am I most inspired to help? And I also found I got feedback that I was pretty good at teaching. I'm not everyone's cup of tea and I don't try to be. But, you know, like one thing no one can deny me is I can talk. Uh, And you need to be able to talk to get your message out there. And I can do that. I've got world records for that. Officially the longest. Officially. Yeah, exactly. Officially. So, uh, yeah. And so this this year, well, last calendar year, but within the last year, um, I got my foundation officially set up, which is to help young and underprivileged people get a better financial education and be able to start their own enterprise, whether that's a, a business or get a better job. And I wanted it to be global. And yeah, like I said, focus on young and underprivileged people. Yeah, it's a great thing. And I know you don't talk about it on your social medias, mm. but underneath, I know you've done great things. Yeah, and I, once I'm on a finance raising round, I will be talking yeah. about it on my social media. Yeah. I'm sure people want to help with that. Yeah. I've got some questions now, mm. so I asked my audience some questions, and um, I just want to ask you if you take as long as you want. Yeah, yeah, sure. So they're just some of the questions which our sort of younger audience wanted to ask, yeah. and the older guys as well. Yeah. So, what would you say your biggest mistake was? Just, just like the biggest mistake. Most of my biggest mistakes are not taking the opportunities early enough when they arise. So I had probably seven years worth of chance to get into property from 18 to 25. Dad kept saying, you should go and buy this flat, you should go. And I thought he was just trying to kick me out of the house. (laughs) Um, But no, he was trying to get me financially secure on my own. 
obviously I was raised in an entrepreneurial environment as a kid, but it took me 20 years to go, oh, finally, I'm going to do it. I was a, an avid listener of podcasts before I launched my own. So I don't, you can't regret the past. If you see it like that, then you're never going to move forward. Mm-hmm. But if I'm honest, and I've got to be honest, yeah. I have had a lot of opportunities in my life. And up until the age of 25, I ignored them, squandered them, or played the victim card. Sure. Uh, and so now I try not to, if there's an opportunity, I try not to let it go. So my regrets and mistakes are around that. I've obviously done lots of things that have gone wrong. Yeah. But you know what? I don't. Mistakes are part of your successes. The breakages are part of what you fix. That's right. So you know, I can't see them as mistakes. I can only see them as lessons. So take the opportunity when you get it. Mm. Big advice. So... For a startup now, so let's say, you know, someone coming in to an entrepreneur and he wants a startup, is there one bit of advice you can give them? So the start of their journey, mm. I know you take the opportunities one. Yeah. Is there anything like, you know, is there a sort of platform they should yeah. go through? Is there any advice you could give? There's definitely advice I could give. And actually, I'd probably say it's equal first on biggest mistakes. Okay. One bad thing to do is to listen to conventional wisdom and common sense because conventional wisdom will give you conventional results. And most common sense isn't common and it isn't sense. So the world will tell you, oh, well, it's best to just, you know, learn from your mistakes. They say that all the time, don't they? Learn from your mistakes. I think it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes because it's cheaper uh, and it's less emotionally of a roller coaster. So getting a mentor and learning from the mistakes of other people, whether you listen to them on podcasts, follow the honest people. Follow the people who are teaching you stuff, but that share their mistakes and do the warts and all approach like, you know, I, I believe that we do. So one of my biggest mistakes was not getting support and guidance and accountability and mentorship paid and free. And that's also the answer to your second question. Great. So thank you for that. Um, you've written Life Leverage, which has got a thousand reviews, which is phenomenal. I think it's higher than some of the books that I've been at for 50 years. Mm. But it's a great book. Yeah, thank you. you. You've done money and lots of other books. If there was two books that you would recommend, apart from your own, that you'd recommend someone to read, have you got two books in mind? Yeah. Now, I get asked this question a lot, and sorry for a long answer for a short question, but it's important. Books are like timestamps in your life, and they can have different impacts at you at different points in your life. And so I could give you two books, but 10 years ago or 10 years in the future, it'd have a different impact. But if there were two universal ones, I would say Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, Total Recall. What I really love about what Arnold's done is it's self-made. Not that I have a problem with people who've inherited wealth and made it, because that's just as hard, by the way. But I just like that self-made and in completely different disciplines. I mean, who would have thought it'd become the governor? Um, And and to be honest, you know, I'm sure people in his early days of acting didn't really think he was a very good actor. Um, But he found his niche and he became the highest paid actor in the world. And and now he's big into saving the planet and he's going to do a better job than anyone else else in the world. And his autobiography is just brilliant. So I'd say that. I would say Think and Grow Rich was probably the one money book that went... Yeah. And that's one, a bit like, I suppose, my book Money, where you can read once a year and get a different lessons and pick yeah. up things that you missed before because where you're at so if i was you forced me to pick two I'd just pick the two. two yeah yeah <laughs> great stuff i know you've touched on this before and i think this isn't teached enough sales and marketing you've pushed that apart from that in your career as an entrepreneur to date 
Is there any other skills you'd recommend people to learn? Leverage. Leverage. Yeah, because no one, especially me, is good at everything. Uh, and in fact, the better you are at one thing, the worse you'll probably be at everything else. If you think of a genius that you know, they're probably so focused on being good at that, they're not really that good at many other things. But the people who grow amazing careers, business, sport, whatever, they focus on what they're great at and they leverage out everything else. So like, you know, if you watch any sports people, person, where you think, oh, well, no, they're not leveraging because they're doing it themselves. But they have, you know, like Tiger Woods had about four golf coaches. You know, he'd have a putting coach, a chipping coach, an iron coach. He'd have a, a psychology coach. He'd have a fitness coach. You just have dozens yeah. of coaches. Yeah. So he's leveraging. If you want to be an entrepreneur... You don't want to be doing your tax returns. That is not a good use of time. You know, that is just admin for someone else. You know, you don't want to be doing any of your booking of your diary or anything like that. So you could argue that leverage is more important than sales and marketing. Because right, yeah. if, you, if you find a really talented salesperson, hire them, yeah. pay them big commission and leverage them. So I, I think leverage is the most important trait. Now, in the UK especially, and from our older generation, you know, I love my parents and they, they raised me and they did great. You know, everything that's good about me was from them and everything that's fucked up about me was from me. So, yeah. And I own that. But my, the older generation is like, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. You know, don't spend more than you earn. But of course, in property, you've got to leverage debt. So the old generation is teaching us thing, things that, that worked 50 years ago, but doesn't work anymore. So you leverage your phone, you leverage social media, you leverage outsourcers, virtual assistants, Fiverr.com, 99designs, and your job is to steer the ship. Yeah, that's right. I think leverage does become before sales, like mm. you said. And it's hard to think about that because you don't think about that, but you can't make sales if you're busy doing tax returns. Yeah. So leverage it, then do yourselves. Mm. Thank you for that. So with this podcast, it's about mentoring. So I've been mentoring like, you know, for the Princess Trust. I mentor clients because like you said, you're better to learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. I got that advice in 2008 in the recession when one bit of advice helped me from closing a business to then building and selling it on. So with yourself, just tell me what mentoring means to you and how it's helped you, mm. and also how you've helped, I know you help people like me, mm. but helped other people grow. So just a bit about mentoring. Yeah. So what I love about mentoring, and there's, a, there's quite a lot of things here, so, but I'll list them quickly. Number one is, if you're struggling to go to the next level, you're trying to solve going to the next level that you've never been before. Yeah. So there's no proof. You don't know how to do it. If you're trying to solve a problem, you created it. And you're trying to solve that problem with the same thought process that created the problem. So there's quite a lot of paradox and irony in that. Whereas if you go to someone else who's a level above you, well, they just go, well, you just do this, this and this. And sometimes actually the hardest thing is going, oh, okay, and then getting over your own baggage. Because I mentor quite a few people who seem to pay me a lot of money and just don't listen to me and don't pay me then, you know, like... Yeah. Um, because obviously our own baggage is in the way. So number one is someone has been there, done it and solved it. Number two is they've got a fresh, different approach. Number three is accountability. Because who's the easiest person to lie to? Yourself. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, all oh, this. You know, but it does matter. And you won't do it tomorrow. Whereas if you've got a mentor going, did you do it? And the more you pay them as well, the more committed you are. Free advice is worth every penny. You know, like we've all been given books and they're still on the shelf. That's right. But if you pay 
two grand, 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, it doesn't really matter what it is, but it's got to be a stretch to you, then you're committed and accountable. Um, Support when you're feeling low, and we all feel low. Contacts and resources that you haven't got. Yeah, I mean, what do you not get out of mentoring? I don't know what you don't get out of mentoring. Yeah, and I get this argument, well not argument, I get these questions asked about mentoring, and I've used a lot of consultants, and there's a difference between a consultant and a mentor. I think one thing I love about, like about you, Rob, is you've been there, done it, you've learned the hardships, so you can teach that. Mm. Whereas some people haven't done, been there, yeah. done it. They've not had the kicks in the stomach. Mm. They haven't got the feeling of when something goes down. So, uh, you know, like yourself, I can reach on you because you've got the knowledge and you can help me miss that little error bit out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So a bit of fun now. I think we've done hardcore content. I'm sure the guys have got a lot of value. So it's uh, just one or the other. Some last some questions. And I've just got to pick one or the other. One or the other. You're doing this because you know I'm going to find it hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, Robbie Fowler or Michael Owen? Robbie Fowler. Do you want why or just the answer? You can go for why. Because I think he was a bit more loyal to Liverpool. Yeah, he just had a more all-round game. Okay. But I, I love Michael Owen as well. Both good players. But yeah. then he went to Man United. Yeah, well, you know, everyone's got to follow their own career. I'm yeah, not going to knock him for that. True. Yeah. Right, Kim Kardashian or Beyonce? I think Beyonce. Okay. Because I think she's got more of a specific talent. Right. But I'm not so anti the Kardashians like a lot of people are because I think they're a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. But, you know, Beyonce's got the talent and can leverage the social media and be a cultural phenomenon. But I just think, you know, I respect what they've both done. Yeah, I think I was watch, uh, listening to something about Kim Kardashian. Everyone's saying things about it, but then on a live feature, a million, million people yeah. watching her. So yeah. she's done something Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, don't, I don't really like knocking anybody. I like to try and learn from them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Property or personal brand? Holy shit, you're getting me on these <laughs> ones. I think I'd have to say property, but that is really hard. Yeah. Because property is a sustainable, tangible asset that goes up over time and was the main vehicle to everything cool I've ever done in my life. But I really enjoy the building the personal brand. And of course, that's very leverageable as well. So it's a hard answer. But, you know, I've got to be loyal to the thing that really gave me the best life. And that was property. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Business partner. I won't put Mark in this one. Yeah. Richard Branson or Warren Buffett? Richard Branson, because he's probably going to live longer. They're both great. Yeah. But Warren Buffett's nearly 90. Okay. So if I go with Warren and he, and he <laughs> yeah. pops in a year or two, I'm, you know, like, Warren, come on, we had a deal. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Richard Branson might have another 20 years. Lifetime in. guarantee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a bit of a cop-out way of answering it because they're both great. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. A Lamborghini or Ferrari? Well, you know, like I think my personality is more an Aventador-S okay. um, or a Centenario, but my brain has taught me that actually Ferraris appreciate more in value. Right. And I've had Ferraris and I've still got the 458 yeah. and I'm just about looking to get a Testarossa, uh, you know, or um, a classic Ferrari. And Ferraris tend to hold their value and go up more over time. And I like to have my car also as an asset. Yeah. And, you know, like an Aventador or a Centenario is just going to drop like a stone. So I'd have to say Ferrari. Okay, so last one on the quick fire I've done. So investments, watches or art? Watches, because I just know way more about it. 
I don't know as much about art as I do about watches, and I'm more passionate about watches. So for me, watches. Okay. And uh, Rob, so you talked about your journey, which we've enjoyed. You talked about how you've built this business, your legacy. So, so what's Rob Moore's vision going forward? What's your legacy? You know, if you could say, sum up something you want to be remembered for, not that you're going mm. anywhere, mm. but you know, what's the, what's the vision for Rob Moore? Okay, so I'd just like to be remembered that I got in people's face, interrupted the habits in their life that they weren't happy with, and I helped them create a better life, primarily financially and then everything else off of it. So if someone said to me, Rob's a bit gobby, but he helped me make more money, I'm going to sleep comfortably in my grave for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. I think there's a lot of people out there saying money doesn't make you happy and you know, life isn't all about money. And I get judged quite a lot like I'm some interested in just money and power. I'm not. I'm interested in all the things in life that everyone is interested in, happiness, freedom, spending time with my family. But it's becoming wealthy that actually helped me do that because it's so much harder when you're skint. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I don't mind having a money focus. That's how I want to be remembered. Yeah, mm. it's, it's a great thing. Mm. And also you do a lot with a charity that people don't know, you mm. know, and we know that because yeah. we're you're in a circle as of course. we come and see you. But yeah, and I, I don't need to go blurting that around because it's not, you know, like one of my mentors taught me it's better to donate anonymously. He felt that, that there was something a lot better about that. And so that's, I mean, okay, look, we've sometimes had big checks that we've shown yeah. and raised. If, if I, because sometimes I'll do a finance raise by doing an event and, and donating all the profits from the event. I did announce that all the profits from money go to my foundation just because I thought that was important to launch the foundation, number one. And number two, any critics, what can they say? Yeah. Okay, they can say it's a bit long and, I, you know, and they might not like me, but what can they say? Because all the profits of this are going to do good in the world. So. Yeah. It's kind of hard for them. You know, like also giving back drives you more to make more for yourself. The more, you, the more you've got, the more you can give. Yeah. And I find when you give something away for charity, you forget about it anyway. Yeah. And the goodness comes back to you. Yeah. But I think a lot of successful people, if people don't really know about them a lot, they automatically think, oh, they're just in it for the money. But mm. behind them, like you mentioned, your foundation, it is about giving back as well. Yeah. But you don't have to make a song or dance about no. it. And by the way, it's also okay from time to time to be in it for the money. Yeah. You know, sometimes if you're in debt, you shouldn't be thinking about your foundation. Not you should right. be thinking about getting out of debt. And then if you're out of debt, but you're not making any money, you should double your salary. You should get your kids into private school. You should look after your husband or your wife. You should get yeah. yourself a nice, solid family home that you feel good in. And I know that's a selfish thing. But I mean, that's what we were doing 10,000 years ago or, or a million years ago in the caves. Find a nice cave, build a nice fire, go and you know, get ourselves a nice partner, raise our kids, go and hunt the meat. Yeah. You know, so there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people out there giving it all away. And sometimes they're not giving it away to charity. They're just guilt and shame and fear and judgment. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to balance the selfish and the selfless. Yeah. Too selfish? Yeah. And we, we should be giving some of it back. Too selfless. And we, we, we're not going to be able to sustain survival. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, you're right. Completely right. As you also are. <laughs> so we're coming towards the end of the interview. I want to thank you. Um, I normally ask at this point is, as, as it's a mentoring show, is there any mentors you'd like to shout out? Is there any particular one that's really influenced your life and helped you along the way? Yeah, I think uh, that what I've learned from John Demartini over the years has really helped me, both privately and just from a distance studying all of his stuff. Uh, he's taught me about balanced forces He's taught me about there's a upsides in every downside, no matter what challenges you're going through. 
And that's been really great. My business partner, Mark, in many ways, he's a mentor. In many ways, he's a business partner. He taught me about managing my money properly and being more grounded and detailed and focused. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had lots of mentors and I still have mentors, but they're the two I'd like to shout out. Excellent. And where can people follow you? Facebook, yeah. or link? Or, and, if, uh, I mean, if anyone searches Rob Moore, M-R-R-A, or Rob Moore Progressive, you'll find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. And I have two podcasts, Money and The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Hey, look, I've got books and products and all that, but I'll just yeah. let them go and get some value from me first. Yeah. And then once you feel good about that, then maybe get some of my books or, you know, look to come to some, on some of our courses afterwards. Great. So I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast interview. Really appreciate thank you. that. If anyone's got any questions on mentoring or any questions at all, you can get me on Jay at thebusinessmentorpodcast.com. So please tune in, listen, subscribe, review, or anything, you know, if you like it, that'd be good. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, thank you for that. Thank you.